0: Our next lesson this morning is going to come from the book of Genesis. We'll be in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. Genesis 28, 10 through 17. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night, because the sun had set, taking one of his stones of the place... He put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set upon the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. On this land in which you lie, I give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you you shall be spread abroad to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. He said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, there, there are certain places in life where you can feel the history. You can just know something significant or something important happened there. This past summer, um, we went on a family vacation to New York City. And while we were in New York, we went to Carnegie Hall. And my first time never ever in Carnegie, you know, I'd heard of Carnegie Hall my entire life. I knew about it and all that. And to be honest, when I walked in and sat there, I thought, Huh. This is not as beautiful as the Orpheum in Memphis, or, or the Fox Theater in Atlanta. Like, like, it's not particularly ornate. There aren't the beautiful murals on the wall or on the ceiling. You know, it's there's none of that there. But yet, when you sit there, you can feel the history. You can feel the history of all the folks who have sang or played or performed there. You know you're in a place where great history has happened. You can kind of feel it there. Uh, there's a, there's a, a comedian or, or a speaker that once wrote about how uh, in the South, uh, football is our religion and Saturday is its holy day. And the stadiums are its cathedrals. And if you've ever gone into, say, Tiger Stadium on a Sunday night, Saturday night rather, you can feel the echoes, can't you? If you go into certain places like that, you can, you, 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 can, you can feel it. Sherry Beth, this morning in the children's moment, talked about holy places. And we're talking about that this morning in our sermon. These holy places are holy spaces. There are several places in my life that are holy particularly holy, but honestly, there's nothing particularly magical about them. Uh, She talked about Vesper Hill at Lake Stevens. and If any of you have ever been to Lake Stevens, you know Vesper Hill is beautiful. But for me, my place is Wesley Pines. And one of the holiest places in all of creation to me is the tabernacle at Wesley Pines. In fact, one of the highlights of my life, one of the highlights of my ministry was one of the first times I got to speak and preach and lead at the tabernacle at Camp Wesley Pines. Now, if you've ever been to Camp Wesley Pines and to the tabernacle, you know it does not reek of holiness. It reeks of unbathed and undeodorized children. Because it's a camp. It's a a concrete floor. It's not much to look at. They have those metal chairs that scrape across the floor and make that hideous noise. There's nothing appealing about the tabernacle. I can't the pines. Nothing. But for me, it's a sacred place because it was there when I was a kid. I heard about Jesus. It was there when I was a teenager that I first felt the call of God in my life to preach about Jesus. So it's a place that may not look like much to the average person, but to me it's sacred space because God's done something there. There are certain things, certain places in life that I think are holy because of what God did there. When, When Holly and I, took our honeymoon, we, we honeymooned in Asheville, North Carolina. We love the mountains. We love that part of the world. You know, as a Methodist preacher, it's required that you have to go to Junaluska every so often. It's just in the Book of discipline somewhere. So we love that part of the world. And so if you've ever been to Asheville, um, you, you may know that Billy Graham has a compound up there. And they have a lot of his artifacts there. And we were, we were at, a, um, at his museum there. And they had, at this museum, his pulpit. One of the pulpits that Billy Graham preached from behind. And Holly said, Oh, you should get your picture behind that. I'm like, I can't do that. I mean that's that's Billy Graham's pulpit. Millions of lives have been affected and changed by the gospel. That was presented behind this pulpit. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to stand behind that because that is a, a sacred space, a place that I that I don't feel like I should be behind because of what has happened there. See, what God does with sacred spaces and sacred places is that he takes things that are ordinary, ordinary things, and makes them holy. One of those sacred places in all the entire world to me was the, the, the communion table at Lytton United Methodist Church, one of our first churches. Lytton was little bitty, y'all. I had five folks that came to worship on Sunday. The church wasn't much bigger than from the altar rail to the back of this church. It was little bitty. But when I stood behind that pool, that communion table for the first time and pronounced the great Thanksgiving, and we blessed those elements, and we did communion together, y'all, there aren't many places holier than that. This morning, after early service, we went out, we got John Palmer's cattle trough. He had to patch it up because it was leaking. We put hose water in there, in the front lawn. But y'all, at 9.40 this morning, there was no holier place on god's earth than the front yard of St. Matthew's United Methodist Church because at that moment a young woman professed Jesus Christ as her savior and for the first time received the waters of baptism there was no holier place on the earth in that moment than that place and it wasn't because there's was anything magic about the horse trough it came from John Palmer's farm Yeah, God used it. Today in the text, we read about Bethel, the house of God. The word in Scripture, E-L, means God. So anytime in Scripture you see anything that ends with E-L, that's God something. We see Jacob's ladder, the house of God, or Bethel. Where Jacob takes a nap, has a rock for a pillow. He probably needs a good chiropractor. I mean, that just, you know, can't be comfortable. But in that moment, he sees a vision of a a ladder and angels coming and angels descending. And when he awakes, he says, surely this is the house of God. Nothing magical about it. Nothing, Nothing special about it. It was dirt and a rock. But he knew that God's presence was there and it was sacred. In our stewardship season, this year we're talking about what our efforts and our resources and stuff do. Ava did a wonderful job this morning to tell you about all that trustees overseas and all of the things that our facilities have to make possible. Right now, right now we are sitting in a sacred space right now. Those of us that are in the building we are in a sacred space. This space here is dedicated And sanctified and used for the worship of a triune God. This space here is dedicated and used for the worship of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. This space here is incredibly special and incredibly sacred and incredibly holy. But what makes it special and sacred and holy isn't the stuff. This is just wood, y'all. Just wood. This is just carpet. That's just glass. No different than any store or any place you can ever go. There's a church furniture factory in Noxipator. Okay, you ever been in Noxipater? Okay, I know about, I had a buddy that worked there. I can attest to you, he was not always wholly going to work, okay? He was in need of much sanctification. It wasn't anything, it was trees. Just trees of Noxipator. Nothing fancy, nothing special that are made into pews and pulpit furniture. Just wood, just carpet, just fabric, just glass. Nothing in the specificity of these objects makes them holy. But what makes them holy is the purpose they have and the reason they are given and what they're about. This is just wood and carpet, y'all. But this is wood and carpet and space dedicated to the worship of God. It is not the object themselves that is particularly holy, but it is the purpose behind the object. It is the reason, it is therefore, and it is the God who is worshiped who makes it holy. Holy. That is what makes it holy. Not the object itself, but the God behind the object. The God that has blessed the object. The God that uses the object. The God that is glorified in the worship that comes from the object. It's not the thing. It's the God that makes it holy. And so within this concept of the stuff of our church, our physical things, this stuff... I tell the staff this all the time. Tim can testify to that. I'm not lying. There's not a single thing in this church, this pulpit, this pyramid, this microphone cover, that camera, the coffee, all of it, not a single thing that you ever touch, see, smell, or lick in this building that is not a physical thing manifestation of an act of worship. Because it's your tithes and offerings about this pulpit. It's your tithes and offerings that bought the carpet, bought the table. It's your tithes and offerings that pay the white bill. It's your tithes and offerings that cuts the grass. It's your tithes and offerings that pay the water bill. You probably don't think you're right. When you're, when you're tired are of making an to the church, you're not thinking, boy, I can't wait to pay the lights this week. But you are. Everything in this place, everything here that you see, everything here is, should be treated with respect and with dignity and with pride because it is the physical manifestation, the physical embodiment of someone's tithe and offering, of someone's act of worship. I tell the staff this. Like I said, Tim can tell him that line. I tell the staff this. Our salaries are paid with your tithes and offerings. Every tiramisu I ever eat at Amerigo's is paid for with your tithes and offerings. That is a sacred responsibility that I feel. That's a sacred responsibility and trust that our staff feels. Because we know it is your worship. It is your faithfulness. It is your efforts that make all of this possible. So everything, everything we see here, everything we experience here, all of this is that embodiment of our desire to be faithful to God. So I think that means a couple things for us. What I I think it means, that we should that we should treat this place with respect. There's a reverence here, and that's good. Reverence is a, a word that sometimes, uh, I don't know, gets, uh, I think sometimes the church swung so far with ritual that it all became rote, that we sometimes lost our, our reverence. And it's okay. In fact, it's good. It's good to be reverent before God. It's humbling. See, our world tells us this, that you're the most important thing in the entire world. The world tells you. It's all about you and me and what I want and what you want. That's really all that matters. You are all that matters. What you want, it's all that matters. That's what the world tells us. And then the world tells us, by the way, the same token, the world tells us that you're all that matters, then the world tells us you're not enough. But if you buy this new thing, you'll be enough. So you're not good enough, but man, if you get this new car, or this new house, or this new technological whiz, man, if you get that, then you'll be enough. And then you buy that new whatever, and you find out you're still not enough. Our faith tells us, Actually, it's not about you. There's a God bigger than you, a God holier than you, a God other than you. It's not about you. But guess what? You are enough. You don't have to have the newest car to be the presence of God. Are the newest technological marvel to be in the presence of God, or the newest house, or the newest whatever. Because when it's not about you, but it's about God, you actually are enough. And that should produce reverence in us. And that should produce all in us. And that should produce wonder in us. I think one of the many many problems that these things have created in our life, and y'all know I love my my technology is we're too busy or too preoccupied for wonder or for all. Are for reverence. <laughs> we get to come in this place, y'all. A place dedicated to the worship of the triune God. And sit before him and feel his love. What's better than that? These physical things here. This space. There's nothing magical about them. But it's God, it's God who meets us in this place dedicated to his worship. And everything we experience here, everything we can touch or taste, everything we can smell, everything we can experience is that physical manifestation of his worship. So we should treat it and we should experience it reverently. That's okay. It's okay to be reverent. It's good for us. So we should live in the reverence of that. But here's the other thing, y'all. If this place is dedicated to the worship of God and, and, and exists because of the tithes and offerings of those people, yes, it should produce in us reverence, but there's something else it should produce within us. It should produce within us welcome. Welcome. It should produce what it is welcome. Because if this place is dedicated to the worship of God, if this place is dedicated to the service of God, if this place is bought with the worship of God, if this place is about that, then here's what I also know, that there's not a single person in the world that God doesn't love. That there's not a single person in the world that Jesus Christ did not die for. You will never look into the eyes of another person for whom Christ did not die. C.S. Lewis said, beside the sacrament, the holiest thing you'll ever meet in your life is your neighbor. Because Jesus Christ died for your neighbor. Jesus Christ loves your neighbor. Jesus Christ desires your neighbor. So, yes, this place should produce within us reverence, but it should also produce within us welcome. There's not a single person breathing God's air that should not feel welcome from God and from us in this place. One of the highlights of my week is the children's moment. Let's see the kids come down. And I love the looks on your faces as parents, as you think to yourself, oh, no, what are they going to say? It's the best, y'all. It's the absolute best because let me tell you why. I've already been there, and I've got the T-shirt, and I was in your spot a few years back saying, oh, no, based off what they said, I may not have a job Monday. So I love it. I love it. And I love the joy of our children when they see this space. And I love the joy of children when they feel welcome in this place. Someone once said the greatest sermon ever preached in the church is the cry of a child. And one of the one thing that matters to me as a pastor, I've done it before. I've chased visitors down, I've I've run down the breezeway, wearing my robe a couple of times, trying to catch a guest who may have had a little one who was especially squirmy, maybe especially loud, and grab them and say, this is their church. And they're welcome here. They're welcome here. If this place is what we say it is, it should produce with us reverence. Because it's the manifestation of of the worship of God, a place dedicated to the worship of God. It should produce within us within reverence. But, y'all, it should also produce within us welcome. For God so loved the world. The world. Everybody. All of them. All of y'all. And all of them. I think there's one more thing to think about when it comes to sacred space. I've been, I always take, this is always one of my takeaways whenever I've been able to go to Israel. Every time I've been able to go to, go to Israel, I'll go to these spaces and places where stuff happened. Where stuff happened. And I always, my, one of my takeaways from being there where all the stuff happened is I think about this. That we Christians, we don't really have holy places like other religions do. We do, but not really. You know why? Cuz the Bible tells us this, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know the holiest place in all of Christianity? You know the holiest place in all of our faith? Your heart. For you are the holy you are the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. You are the holiest place in all of Christianity. You are the most sacred place. Your heart is the most sacred space in all of our faith. More holy than any church or any building because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit dwells within you. So the sacred place and the sacred space doesn't just end when we leave here on Sunday mornings, but it goes with us throughout the week because you have within you, if you're a Christian, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit doesn't just stay trapped in here like we called it, but the Spirit goes with us to the world. For you have within you the Holy Spirit. You have within you the presence of God. You have within you God's very power and might and strength. So it isn't just that this space is holy. It isn't just that this space is sacred. But wherever we go as Christians... We take that space with us. And we get to be a part. We get to be a part of God's redemptive act in the world through the Holy Spirit. So may we glory in the beauty and the reverence of this space. May we glory in the welcome that this space should produce. But may we glory most of all in a God who loves us so very much. Let's pray.